Hello and welcome back to Flowing Backwards, a podcast by me, Phil Peake, and the man from Mosley, Mr. Ian Four Candles Moss, who unfortunately is not here again, so we're having to do this through WhatsApp, which is a bit poppy and crackly and spluttery. So just bear with us on that one. Uh, anyway, this episode, episode number nine, woo, we're up to number nine already. Episode number nine is Dodos and Bears. So, sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Thank you. Uh, greetings and welcome into our world. And thank you for allowing us into your world uh, for an hour or so to um, to podcast into your home from the environs of Stockport and Mosley through the wonders of uh, the technological age. Anyway, we are in January of 1981, and I have done the unthinkable, or the previously unthinkable thing, of leaving the hamsters. Unthinkable because there had been such a bond between us. and um, But I was very determined to, to carry this through. On the Thursday... I went as my was as my want to rafters, um, not really caring who was on. I've no idea who was on uh, in, at this point in time. Um, but I bumped into a fellow there called Graham Ellis. Uh, now Graham, I'd never spoken to before, but he was um, he had been the guitar player in a band called Eltifits, who um, were notable for the fact that it was the band that Carl Burns drummed with between being in the fall and his brief stint with Public Image before um, Jar Wobble and Keith Levine set fire to his bed during an acid trip. Uh, anyway, um, so um, I bumped into Graham, or saw him, basically. I saw him, and I, I loved Graham's guitar playing. Um, he played this sort of fracturous, um, fun funky sort of thing. Lots of notes all squealing, made every single note count, which I like. Very beef artian kind of uh, attitude to playing a guitar. Um, and, and so I went over and, and uh, you know, and said hello. And I said, uh, he was aware who I was, you know, we didn't have to go through this pantomime of pretending we didn't know each other, um, so even though we'd never spoken. Uh, so I said, I've left the hamsters and I know Eltifits no longer exist. And I really like your guitar playing. Shall we form a band? So he said, wow, that sounds a great idea. Um, meet you on Monday at the War on Want offices on uh, on Oxford Road, um, and we'll take it from there. So on the Monday, I go to the War on Want offices, which were in, uh, they were housed in this row of terraced houses near the University, Big George and Terrace, with a huge cellar, and somehow Graham had the key uh, for this. And I turned up and he'd got a drummer, Greg, and um, a trumpet player, Matthew, although Matthew hadn't got his trumpet. 
And uh, although technically he was in the band, he would never actually play because he had uh, problems with um, class A drugs. Um, and and he never had a trumpet. It was always um, it was always being sold or or pawned or something. Um, anyway, we 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 cracked on and we wrote eight songs. Uh, we named ourselves as the Dodos, uh, not after the birds, uh, the, the 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 long deceased extinct birds who trusted people too much. Um, we named ourselves after a um, a decongestant tablet that we used to take as a uh, cheap alternative to amphetamine. Um, so. We were there, we wrote eight songs, and Graham said, um, we might as well play tonight, because once we'd finished rehearsing, the space that we were in uh, was turned into a illegal club, I suppose, a Shabin, uh, called the White Noise Club. And uh, so, so that sounded great. So I went off and banged tom-toms and uh, gathered tribes and said, you know, playing a gig tonight, come along. So the time came um, and there was quite a crowd there, you know, over 100 people in, in this place. It was a big space. Uh, my friends from the fall had come. My friends from the hamsters had come, although Stephen wasn't in a very good mood. He'd been smashing things in his temper that had gone and formed a new group. Um, and um, we prepared to play. Steve Hanley, who was the bass player in the fall, uh, kindly offered his services and played bass for us. And we played our songs, of, of course, you know, we were barely rehearsed. The songs had only been just been written. And in truth, we weren't great, you know, but it's a start and you have to start. And um, it had been a productive start. Anyway, for the next six weeks, this became uh, home to us. We would rehearse and then we became the house band at the White Noise Club and played every week which was a really good way of getting our chops together. And um, by the second week, we had a permanent bass player. We had a, a, a guy called Tim Oliver, who was great. He was a really melodic player, and he was, in, he was learning studio sound. He was interested in sound, and, and he, he, was, he was a really nice guy. These days, um, he, is, um, he runs... Real World Studios in Bath uh, for Peter Gabriel. And he's had a, a long career. In, after the Dodos, he was um, an early member of M People, and he ran a record label, and he engineered and produced for Factory and, and stuff. And he's a really and he's a nice guy, and I'm really pleased that he's done well and, and made himself a, a career in music that he loves and... He's very knowledgeable about. Anyway, so we're, we're the Dodos, and um, after six weeks, somebody must have discovered that Graham is hosting this club, and the key disappears, 
and we can't rehearse anymore. So we start to rehearse at Graham's flat, which is in uh, Hume, in one of the Crescents in Hume. For anybody who doesn't know uh, what the Crescents are, anybody who's not from Manchester of a certain age, they were huge crescent-shaped um, blocks of flats. Uh, they were the, the sort of 60s architectural dream gone wrong. By this stage in the early 80s, uh, all the families had had gone and it was an oasis of um, hedonism and bohemianism and uh, the, the, the flats were full of artistic types and um, lots of drugs and, and things, lots of parties. There was even uh, a recording studio in one of the flats run by uh, Adam Lessing, uh, Out of the Blue, which, um, and Adam was really good with us. And, and we, in, in the course of the 12 months that the, we uh, operated as the Dodos, we recorded three times with, with Adams, which meant that... Um, Posterity, um, you know, we're we're part of it. Anyway, is that right? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Sometimes my phraseology goes all um, stupid. Anyway, um, we were we were a good good band, very different from from the Hamsters. Um, we were a bit sort of fun. Well, we were a lot funkier than the Hamsters. Uh, we're a lot funkier than than practically anybody. Around the, the only sort of comparative people working in the same area in the UK would be um, a certain ratio and gang of four, I suppose. And in America, there were parallels with with what we were doing um, with what was happening around the Mud Club and the No Wave scene. Um, but we were a bit out of step. And although we built up an audience around Hume and we were um, we were liked and we got good gigs. We never captured the public's imagination. We did get good gigs. I mean, we played in rafters a couple of times. Um, we went down to, um, and I remember, what does the place called now? Anyway, we, we traveled. We went, we went to this place near Oxford that escapes me. And uh, we played there. And uh, weirdly, normally we were very competent, but I thought we were absolutely crap this night, and I was really depressed about it, uh, having travelled all this way. And this man came up to me and introduced himself and fetched me a drink over, and he was um, Gary Glitter's manager. And um, he uh, proposed that... um, we should do away with my band and he would turn me into a, a, a pop star. Uh, anyway, I told him to fuck off and that was the end of that. We were, we were doing okay, okay and the dodos, the dodos were, were good and I really liked it and it was nice being in um, a much less fracturous band, uh, although I, I did miss some of the excitement it has to be, has to be said, um, the unpredictability of, of being in the hamsters. Well, the dodos, the dodos was good. 
it, it ended sadly in in a way because we'd been building up a, a head of steam as I say we were getting good gigs really good gigs uh there was nowhere where where we couldn't play where we couldn't access a gig people liked liked us respected us um and we played at the Hume carnival uh which took place um in what was like a natural amphitheater created by one of the crescents that led to the main shopping street and we, there was a block of toilets opposite the white horse pub the long gone white horse and um the stage was set up atop these toilets which which are huge by the way it's you know it's a bigger area than you'd imagine and all day there was revelry and ice cream vans and the pubs open and there's you know there's the smell of marijuana and people having a good time and top of the bill are a band uh, from the area, a reggae band called Harlem Spirit, who um, had, had got a good reputation and released some records that uh, that sold well. Them a sus, them a sus down here in the moss, and I never got to see Bob Marley. Anyway, you know, they were well-liked. We were second on the bill. Anyway, as evening descends and the light fades and there are bonfires burning and it's ever so atmospheric. Um, one of the guys from Harlan Spirit approaches us and says, um, look, we could really do with getting off a little bit early. Could we swap places on the bill with you? So we, we acquiesce with this. We're quite happy. You know, we'll top the bill. We're confident enough to do it. We've got an extended lineup. Um, there's the the four of us, and we've added keyboards and horns for the event, um, and we know that we we're, we're capable of putting on a, a good a good performance. So Harlem Spirit play, and everything's fine, and then we come to play, and as soon as we start playing, it is apparent that there is not a minor problem, a huge problem because the monitors are gone. Harlem Spirit have stitched us up. They have gone and taken the monitors. Uh, when you're playing outdoors in a wind, on a large stage, uh, chaos will ensue. And it did. There were times during the set when one half of the stage was playing one song and the other half of the stage was playing another. It was nothing short of being an absolute disaster. It was horrible. Um, and we, because we'd not got a long-term chemistry as friends, I suppose, um, we didn't take the knocks that a band of friends might. And we simply retreated um, after that night. We got horrifically drunk later on. And then we went our separate ways, and um, and that was the end of it. We didn't um, get in touch with any anybody anymore. No rehearsals took place, and the band just ceased to be, which was a shame because we were good. So um, I've waffled on about the dodos. So let's hear what the dodos sounded like. 
So this was recorded uh, out of the blue by Adam Lessing, and my next door neighbour to these days, my Anne, my my friend Anne, plays uh, keyboards on this. This is Ultimate Thrill by the Dodos. Of the ultimate. In pursuit of the ultimate. In pursuit of the ultimate. In pursuit of the ultimate. 
after the dodos, um, I attempted to put a band uh, together almost immediately and failed, um, which was a great lesson. You know, if, if my ego was was getting a bit too big, uh, that pulled me down to earth. Um, because I remember there was a band called Spurts who, who I liked a lot, a young band, and they'd split up. And I asked their drummer, Rat Spurts, uh, if he was interested in playing in a band with me. And he declined because he had been invited to join the Hamsters, who were still ongoing, uh, although they didn't play any any gigs. They were rehearsing regularly. And, uh, and, and so... Uh, Rat chose to join uh, Steve and Bob and Wayne uh, rather than me. And then I asked my old hamsters bass playing buddy, John, would he like to form a band? He said, I can't. I've joined the hamsters again as a second guitar player. I said, are you mad? You can't stand them. Why are you in the hamsters? He said, you know, you know, as it, as he would, he didn't care. He just waited to be in a band, um, and uh, and so I was left without a band. Uh, strangely, I you know I'd kept in touch with um, with what the Hamsters were doing. They were rehearsing in a cellar in Didsbury, and I would quite because they were my friends, and so quite often uh, I would go down there, and they'd encourage me to sing uh, the songs because Bob was the, the singer and it allowed him to concentrate on his guitar parts if I sang them. There was never any prospect of me rejoining them. I wasn't interested in that at all, but I, knew, but I liked a, a lot of the material they were doing. Um, anyway, um, that led to a sort of um, partial reunion in that I'd got some songs written and i wanted to uh, record them so we rehearsed a couple of times and went into adam's studio and i found myself once again re re recording with uh with bob and steve uh with wayne on the bass and again my friend Anne, who had had in the dodos came along and yodeled would you believe and we had uh, another ex-hamster robert who um I got to play a uh, Jew's harp. It was horrific because he couldn't really play it. And it's a horrible instrument to play. And uh, he just ended up with a mouth full of blood. There was blood everywhere as he, as he, he played kind of hard rock Jew's harp. Um, and that, but that was fun. That was, that was good. Uh, also at this time, uh, I was invited to go and play a gig. Uh, in London at the Meanwhile Gardens uh, with the old old crowd um, from the uh, Weird Tales tour with Grant Showbiz in, in charge. You know, it was all a sort of gathering of, of the tribes, of the mob and the androids and you and here and now and Zounds. And it was an all-day thing. And the hamsters were also playing. Um, and for some reason, I didn't travel with them they went 
and I went alone on, on the train, I remember, and I was very determined to, um, to stand out. And so I got to the Meanwhile Gardens and uh, the, the uniform had developed and everybody was basically dressed in matte black and uh, I was dressed from head to toe in white with a um, crimson bow tie and um, bright red, um, shiny Doc Martin shoes. And I was armed with a drum machine, um, which I'd purchased um, unprogrammed. There's no way in the world I was going to read a, a book on how to program a drum machine. Uh, I'd had one run through in Charlton with this drum machine where I'd simply taken it out of the box on the stage for the first time, plugged it in, I'd borrowed a guitar and I thought I'd got about 40 minutes worth of material at the lamplight in Charlton. And I put, set this drum machine uh, going and it went boo, 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 boo. And you, obviously you can't help but try and keep up with the track. So uh, my 40 minutes material ended up being performed in eight minutes. Occasionally I would hit this guitar my veins were bulging in my forehead and my neck and sweat was pouring from me as I poured out, spewed out these words at 100 miles an hour. And at the, the end of um, the set, there was the, for something like 30 seconds, which seemed more like a month, uh, there was absolute silence. You couldn't hear a pin drop. People were stunned and, and not all in a good way by uh, what they'd seen. Anyway, I was, uh, I was I'd, so I'd used the drum machine and I'd learned there was a dial on the front and I'd slowed it down. So it was a more manageable do, 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 do now. Uh, rather patronisingly, the hamsters said, you can borrow John if you want. Um, so I did. Uh, he was totally unprepared and probably a little bit unwilling, if truth be told. But I dragged him up on the stage and uh, set the drum machine going and said, right, play your bass, um, which he's not very good at improvising. He doesn't have the temperament for, for that. He doesn't have the confidence. But anyway, he did, and, and I did my thing um, and it was you. It was very successful this time. Um, I'd written, I'd written stuff that was making points, and um, it was rhythmical, and it went down very well. It stood apart from everything else. The hamsters had played earlier, and um, they weren't very special. You know, they were. Uh, they'd become ordinary. They just plodded along. I remember Grant Shawbase taking me aside and saying, you've really, really got something. You should persevere with that. That was really, really great. I suppose, <laughs> this is tongue-in-cheek, so don't quote me. I think I'm, my ego's are mad. I think on that day, I invented rap music. <laughs> only kidding, only kidding. Uh, anyway... <laughs> That was so. Th this is sort of what I was doing in between um, the dodos um, splitting up and what I did 
next. I was also, of course, having a great time uh, music-wise um, because there was lots of lots of good stuff to uh, to get into. Uh, reggae, which, as we know, was a great um, <sighs> passion for me, had moved as it we turned into the 80s, you start getting into dancehall culture. And uh, the, the change, uh, although subtle at first, um, began to gather pace. Anyway, this was a record from that era that, um, that I loved. So it's Welton Irie. And it's called Lamb's Bread. Brass over your bald head or you're not a dread. Just come make we eat up lamb's bread. Eat up lamb's bread. You must go ahead. Well, tread y'all. Say that we want lamb's bread. So let me tell you, say we want lamb's bread. Better at your man. But I know a little dread by the name of Fred. Used to make him living by selling lamb's bread. But now he'm really actually not selling it no more. Babylon and lock him in a jailhouse door. Sephie Lego not to dread. So let me tell you, make him sell him lamb's bread. Code. Say you feel Lego not to dread. And let me tell you, make him sell him lamb's bread. I saw me go to Africa and me smoke it in a chalwa. Go to Africa and smoke it in a chalwa. Me go to London, if you go check me Kaliman. Step a London, if you go check a Kaliman. All over, we just a eat it in a chalwa. Say all over, we just a eat it in a chalwa. Kawacha man, come and say old Wada Wallace. Show where your malice make we lick up the chalice in a Buckingham Palace. Chalice to chalice and you feel alright. Chalice to chalice, you know first I'll fight. Make we eat up lamb bread. So let me tell you about the lamb's bread, Callie. And until you say it ain't no falling. So when you eat it, man, you feel so jolly. Cause say that are over the hills and down in the valley. Just a eat up the lamb's bread, Kali. Just let me tell you, say no change, fan no falling. I said I know a little dread by the name of Fred. Used to make him living by selling lamb's bread, but now we really actually not selling it no more. Babylon and lock him in a jailhouse door. Say feeling gonna dread. Just let me tell you, make him selling lamb's bread. When I was a youth, I used to smoke lamb's bread in a front door. Another time in a contrast, good cash. But now that I'm a man, I have to smoke lamb's bread in a chalwa. Another time in a Rizla. So let me tell you, say, me smoke it in a Africa. So let me tell you, say, me smoke it in a Canada. So let me tell you, say, me smoke it in a London. Smoke down over with Tilia. Challenge to Chalice and you feel alright. Challenge to Chalice and no fuss, no fight. Got chichi chichi bam bam climb on a fence. Asking a mother for a dollar five cents. Figo buy some high shins. I tell you, Figo buy some high shins. Say one stick of weed for a fifty cents. What about a high sense, but dollar five cents, make we smoke lamb's bread. So let me tell you, say the way the ball head, are you a naughty dread? 
smoke lamps, bread and make we fall out of hell. Yeah, you know. Tell me when up a constant spring. Fever, figure check out me African thing. I wish she bring lamps, bread and skin. Cause lamps, bread it keep me rocking and swing. Say that you want lamps, bread. I saw me say and then you fall out of hell. Said I over the hills and I down in the valley. Me and me bread when I smoke up the lamb's bread calling. I saw me smoke it high in your valley. Said that good people don't you check out no falling. I saw me bonnet in a chalwa. Which part? We don't in Africa. And when you smoke lamb's bread, you love one another. Smoke lamb's bread, you love one another. You know fight against your brother. Say we smoke it in a chalwa I tell you lamb's bread will chalwa I tell you lamb's bread it will chalwa Chal, let me tell you say we born it in Africa In the aftermath of uh, the performance at Meanwhile Gardens John decided he would be wiser hitching his wagon to uh, my wagon train rather than the hamster's wagon train which just went round in circles because they rarely ever played out. They simply rehearsed and rehearsed in a cellar and um, took lots of drugs and drank a lot. Um, so um, I'd always been much more, I was perceived as being the sensible one. And and if you listen to these podcasts, you'll, you'll understand that sounds quite ludicrous, but um, I was perhaps um, more measured than than Steve and Bob were, and more approachable. And I was the I was the facilitator of all the gigs that the hamsters had got. Um, people were willing to um, to take a chance with me. I wasn't um, as um, excessive. As, uh, as my former compadres. Um, and so John John came along and uh, to form a band with me. So I approached Graham once again uh, from the Dodos and uh, got a drummer called Mike Prendergast who, um, who, was, who was younger. And um, we had uh, one of John's girlfriends from the time. I forget what she was called. Um, she left the band and left John um, once once we'd got going fairly soon because she was um, she was a strange um, strange girl and she was obsessed with John and she thought she was going to lose him and rather than lose him she um, tried to poison him tried to murder him um, so their relationship came to an end I'm being serious there by the way I'm not. Uh, not making that up for effect. Yeah, she tried to murder him, so so they split up. Um, so the new band, um, because I loved the place so much, uh, was called The Bears from Bellevue Zoo. Uh, quite a mouthful. And rather than the sort of funky uh, sound we had pursued um, with the Dodos, I wanted this to be a more um, four to the floor, 
northern soul pounding beating thing um i attempted um uh i got us um a sax player at one point and 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 it was good we i had we had some really good songs what we didn't have was the chemistry that good bands need uh i was i i'd got a vision but it wasn't particularly being shared by the rest of the band um and although we were gigging regularly we weren't getting really really good gigs i proposed at one point that we should um go and play um as outside the apollo and places like that as people were queuing to go and see bands uh, and force our music down people's throats and they said the rest of the band said oh great busking and i said no not busking we won't we're not prostitutes you know if people throw money at us we throw it back and tell them to fuck off you know we just play for playing sake and um they didn't quite get that um so uh, there was there was this thing as i say i was pushing this northern soul kind of thing and there was only me like northern soul they didn't they didn't get that although we did a really good version of billy butler's the right track um which i liked and i tried and then i tried to do strange things where we did northern soul versions of um simon and garfunkel's the boxer and stranger song uh, which didn't uh, which just confused everybody anyway that, that was the bears from bellevue zoo um and and again adam was really supportive adam lessing he'd moved his studio into um into manchester and um he gave us a lot of free studio time and we were rehearsing at the studio as well we'd got a lot going for us but it just um it just slipped away the sax player went off and joined um a sort of offshoot of the alberto wireless trios paranoia um, and again we didn't fall out there was no upheaval or anything we just upped we stopped rehearsing and stopped playing and ceased to be um which was a, a bit of a shame but hey ho that's the way it goes isn't it anyway to uh, sort of uh, encapsulate the era i'm not going to play a northern soul track because we'll have a kind of northern solely episode i think in a week or so um but but more and to straddle the dodos and the bells bears from bellevue one of the tracks that we listen to a lot and in, and it comes from the 70s rather than from the 80s but it's just something that was on the turntable a lot and we used to while we were setting up to rehearse we would get on the good foot and we would groove and we would dance around and squeal and yelp to james brown and the song that we that sort of i remember as being uh, the one was get up off of that thing and release the pressure. Ow! Oh! Woo! 
Chura was, of course, in power. Um, and the, the evil woman um, was probably the most unpopular prime minister ever, because not only was she a complete nutcase, but she was very, very unpleasant. And then um, the Falkland Wall happened and um, it turned her into the Iron Lady and uh, like a cross between Queen Boadicea and, um, and a saint in the eyes of uh, the blue-blooded Brits. It was, it was absolutely horrific. Uh, it was an avoidable war. It was it was horrible. It was f fracturous, even at the you know we're, we're fighting about islands off the coast of Argentina uh, and claiming they have British sovereignty, which would be like um, you know Argentina claiming that they had sovereignty over the Isle of Man. It was it was sort of ludicrous, and it should have been settled um, over over a table rather than with um, thousands of people losing their lives and um, ships and bombs and landmines and all hell um, taking place. I remember a really good friend of mine, Dennis Downworth. Uh, Dennis was a flamboyant bisexual and there, were, there weren't many out bisexual men in a... In, in the sort of environment that I was brought up in, um, about and 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 Dennis had the uh, affrontery to um, to state loudly one night in a pub that the sinking of the Belgrano was a disgrace, which clearly it was. It was a ship that was sailing away from conflict, and uh, it was sunk with a huge loss of life, and he was beaten absolutely senseless for this unpatriotic um, voicing of his opinion. And um, Thatcher was empowered, emboldened by all this, and uh, soon, with uh, her ally, Ronald Reagan, um, the, the world, yeah, the whole world was uh, put on, on a nice edge as America and Russia jostled for nuclear um, supremacy. You know, great things happened. Um, the women at Greenham Common um, inspired a whole generation of, of women. There, there was action, but, but Thatcher was such a dark force. You know, she took, uh, emboldened by her um, success in the war, she thought she could get away with anything, you know. So she started um, seeking to um, to write her vengeful uh, sores, you know. And the previous conservative regime had been brought down largely uh, through the unions. So she began to attack the unions, but not just the unions. The attack was basically on the whole of the working class. She did not like working class people. She looked down her nose at people like you and me. 
She was evil. She was a harridan. She was a nightmare. The miners, of course, were the um, the, the the main unions they went for. But although not alone, obviously, those huge um, strikes with the the print workers union, for instance, and the police in all this were used suddenly, blatantly, for the first time, not as a preventative force against crime, but as a political army. They were used to brutalise the working classes and enforce the rule of government. It was vicious. It was evil. And... Um, I don't, I don't quite know why I've gone off on this but it does need to be said because 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 we're talking about the those times and um, while I gather my thoughts, let's play some music that represents that beautifully and, and poignantly and uh, was a protest, uh, a quiet protest and all the more effective for it against um, the, the coming of the Falkland War. So this is a song written by um, uh, Elvis Costello and Clive Langer um, called Shipbuilding and delivered absolutely beautifully and poignantly by Robert Wyatt. Oh 
so that's Robert Wyatt, absolutely brilliant. And there was a lot of good music in that early era. Um, what else was I listening to? Uh, Soft Cell, I was listening to. Uh, the early Psychic TV records. Psychic TV had come out of uh, the split of Throbbing Gristle. Um, the Go-Betweens um, from uh, Australia uh, were beginning to make a very wonderful noise. Uh, Annette Peacock was still about, uh, who I'd loved since the early 70s, and a club opened called the Hacienda. Um, this was opened um, in a magnificent gesture, it has to be said, by um, the people from Factory Records. They'd made some money, and they... Um, put their ideas into practice and open this club in Manchester, giving uh, something back to the, uh, the musical community. And it was a wonderful, wonderful club. It was structurally, it was striking. Um, everything about it was great, except originally um, hardly anybody went. Um, which was which was mad. There was there were amazing gigs on. I've just mentioned Annette Peacock. I remember going to see Annette Peacock, and there's perhaps only sixty or seventy people into to see Annette Peacock. I remember going to see um, John Cale playing a solo gig at piano, and again there was perhaps only a hundred people um, at that. I remember Kay Carroll, who was the Falls manager striding over and uh, thumping Bobby, who was with me, because he was talking. <laughs> and she was right, actually. Um, no no problem. But she was a little bit forceful sometimes, was Craig, was uh, Kay. Um, so the Hacienda, that became a um, hangout uh, place to be. I absolutely loved it. Uh, there was a downstairs bar, uh, a cocktail bar, the Gay Traitor, um, dedicated to um, Guy Burgess and Kim Philby and uh, Anthony Blunt, etc. And um, they started opening that on a Saturday afternoon, which, which I liked a lot because I was still going to the football uh, on my own uh, more often than not because... The people I'd gone to football with in the 70s has, had, had hit this point where they'd um, gone off and got married and had children. And I didn't know a lot of people who went to football anymore. And it wasn't, it still wasn't the trendy uh, uh, pastime that it is these days. In fact, it was more horrific and violent than ever. But uh, I wasn't bothered if people thought it was uncool to go to football. I got the football. So I would go um, and have a few cocktails in the Gay Traitor on a Saturday afternoon before I walked down to uh, to Stretford and went to Old Trafford to watch United. It didn't last long because I tended to be the only person in the place. So the, um, the exercise of opening in the afternoon didn't last for long and, and they shot it. But I did have great fun in uh in the hacienda it was like a big playground it really really was um spectacular excellent place to go um 
also socially at the time. My friend Anne, who I've mentioned, who uh, is my next door neighbour these days, and who was in the Dodos with me, she was a great friend. Anne had been um, had, had lived in Glossop in a house where um, we'd often sought refuge and there was a great record collection and it was out on the fringes next to uh next to the cemetery and we could wander around and you know we're, we're out in the wilds it was good fun and we would uh, get up to all sorts of uh mischief harmless mischief uh throughout the night there but then Anne's um relationship with her husband floundered and she was in need of a friend and uh and, and i was the friend and we and which is how she ended up in the dodos with me uh but then as she she found a confidence and decided what she wanted to do with her life uh she enrolled at university she was a very clever woman and um she went off to Wrexham um to do a to do, do a degree um so I would, I would go over to Wrexham sometimes and see Anne um and then there was an occasion when there was a uh, feminist convention taking place at Manchester University. And they'd fetched a coach party of women from Wrexham. And I got in touch and asked me to come along. And so I went along. And, and I'm all for female empowerment, but this particular um exercise i found bizarre they, they were staging a com a concert um with women playing but there was no um they just seemed to be aping male rock bands there, there were women throwing shapes as if they were in thin lizzie or something and, and i didn't didn't like it i didn't get it well, I mean, that was fine. It got me into some interesting conversation with some women, anyway, who largely agreed with me um, as well. And we went off to a club at the end of the thing at the university, which, in the mists of time, I forget what it was called, uh, but we went. It was, um, it was somewhere where the Northern Quarter exists these days, these days but of course in those days uh, that was a wasteland a barren place cultureless place anyway it was it was a club uh, a women's club and the first problem was they didn't want to let me in because um because i had male genitalia um and there were an argument ensued eventually the women i was with persuaded them that uh, I had every right to, to enter the place, and I did. But I got in, and it was... I was shunned, and um, more, more than shunned, um, I was persecuted by a lot of these women for the, for the fact that, uh, that I was a man. Uh, I got my arm back because there was a, a, a group of women dressed as men playing pool, um, and I simply put money down to play pool against them and murdered them. I was just a better pool player than them. And they were really upset 
that they were losing uh, to this man. Uh, it, what was bad was they'd ripped out the male toilet. So every time I wanted a wee, I had to exit the club and go and wee up an alleyway. Um, anyway, at some point I got fed up of it and, and skulked off. And I remember I went to uh, the Illuminated 666 Club, which was um, on Fennel Street behind the cathedral near Pips, um, and went to see Jonathan Richmond. And uh, and that was that was that was that that was uh, that's a snapshot of the time. Anyway, musically, um, something happened. Um, we put together, and I don't know how it came about. Yes, I do know how it came about. I was approached um, by a band. Um, to become um, their singer, and I turned them down, uh, so they persisted with the singer they'd got. But they were putting a gig together at um, <sighs> Hopeless with Names. It will come to me, I'll tell you. Anyway, they were putting a gig together, and they said, would you play it with the hamsters? So... Um, I said we we could see about it by this stage the hamsters existed no more Bob had eventually um, left the hamsters and um, then um, the thing the thing exploded basically um, rather nastily but um, but anyway we um, we put the hamsters we agreed to play the gig with the sort of classic lineup of Stephen on the drums, Bob on guitar, John on the bass, and me on vocals. And um, we got together at Steve's house the week before the gig and wrote down a set list. And that was it. That was enough. Uh, but John wanted to rehearse. None of the rest of us wanted to rehearse. Uh, we didn't didn't really see the point. Uh, um, and so, come the day of the gig, um, to arrange what time we were getting there and things, I walked down to the phone box and and phoned everybody. And I phoned John, and I always remember him saying to me. Um, and this is so ridiculous, but it is true. He said to me, don't do it. Please don't do it. I said, what do you mean, John? He said, don't play the gig. I'm not playing. You will ruin everything that the hamsters ever stood for. Um, I just laughed at him, you know, and just just found, found the whole thing preposterous. Anyway, so we turned up um, at the, for, for, the, for the gig, and um, we've not got a bass player. So the guy who drove us was a guy called Simon Taylor, who would later be uh, the Falls road manager. Um, and it was proposed that Simon play bass. But Stephen turned up and said, I'm not having that come on stage with me. And um, I said, well, what are we going to do? He, he said, get your Neil to play. So so we agreed, and, and my brother... Uh, stood in um, and uh, we played and Mick Hucknall uh, 
just before he became a pop star, did the sound for us. Um, amazingly, out of this sort of chaotic uh, prelude to the gig, we were fantastic. Um, I don't, I don't quite know how. Manhattan's is where we were playing, which had been uh, popularised. The Smiths had played an early gig there shortly before this. Um, so on the back of this, we were open to further engagements and uh, we got an invitation to play the Hacienda, um, which we went and did. Um, Stephen um, turned up with a troop of fire eaters who he'd encountered, who we incorporated into our performance um, and almost changed the course of um, musical history because they very nearly burnt the club to the ground. They were um, prancing around with the fire beneath the state-of-the-art video screens before they were ushered away with, with alacrity before the whole place went up in flames. Just imagine no Manchester, no acid house. Oh, God. Um, yes. So we played the Hacienda, um, and then uh, I got a phone call, and we were invited to play the Hacienda again as as a kind of battle of the bands finale. Um, and uh, we turned up at that one, and um, there's a couple of hundred people in there, but in a club as big as the Hacienda, um, that wouldn't deaden the sound. Groups groups really struggled getting a good sound in there. And, and my brother proposed that what we should do was rather than turn up and try and hit every corner of the empty spaces, we should turn down and make people come towards us. And we did. We played very quietly, and it was quite possibly the best hamsters performance ever um with still no rehearsals or anything um but it was it it really really was excellent as i say it was a kind of battle of the bands thing supposedly and i knew how good we'd been and um carl burns was one of the uh, judges and, and I, was, I spoke to Carl and, and half-jokingly said, what's the prize then, Carl, and when do we get it? And he said to me, uh, you're not getting any prize. He said, these who are on stage now are getting the prize. Uh, and I looked, and they were very ordinary, and not unpleasant, but nothing uh, outstanding. Uh, and I, I said, why is that? He said, well, these are Factory's new signings, you know, and uh, and and they they've won it they they'd won it yesterday. Uh, it didn't matter what they sound like, and that was the Happy Mondays, um, who went on to become a very very good band. But I'm, I'm just saying, on this particular night early in their career, there was nothing remarkable about about them. Um, but the Hacienda was great, and music was changing. Everything was changing. And I suppose that was epitomised by the start of hip-hop culture. And so we're going to play uh, something from, from that early hip-hop culture. And this is 
uh, African Barbata, and it, this is planet, planet Rock, heavily featuring the sounds of my beloved Kraftwerk. Party people, party people, then you'll get funky. Suicidal force, then you'll get funky. The Zulu nation, then you'll get funky. Yeah, just hit me. Just face the funk and hit me. Just get on down and hit me. That bot just get so fucking high.
much the sort of uh, snapshot of that era what else is it to say I remember going to London uh, myself and Craig Scanlon went to London to see one weekend to see uh, John Cale and uh, Craig telling me about uh, a song on the uh, latest fall release Slates a song called Middle Masks um, that was um Mark Riley had taken huge umbrage with because it was uh, a blatant attack on him and uh, in part about his friendship with uh, myself and the other hamsters we were dubbed as Mark's drugs and spite and dr drugs and cider mates not spider mates um so that was it was sad seeing seeing Mark uh Mark's exit from the fall because I was by this stage the the lads in the fall were, were had become dear friends to me uh, none more so at the time than 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 Mark and he loved the band uh, but he wouldn't be ridden roughshod over and uh, I remember seeing one of his final gigs possibly his final gig at the lesser free trade hall where um where, where Kay Carroll just screamed abuse at him from the front of the stage uh, in a very publicly humiliating way. So it was, that was that was sad. Um, things were changing, you know. I think uh, I think Ian Curtis's death, had, 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 whether it was that or whether it was just the time, but it signalled a huge change in Manchester around that era um i don't know a new beginning of course is always there and that new beginning uh, had been the hacienda and, and 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 the hacienda truly was a remarkable place and it was and it hosted a lot of remarkable acts and perhaps the most remarkable act that i saw there were the birthday party because um, there was a genuine sense of menace about them. These were not fakers, and so many bands 
Uh, but these were not fakers. These were these were saying it as they lived it. They were absolutely great. And so um, this is going to, I'm, I'm going to wind up uh, this episode with a track by The Birthday Party. But thank you for listening. Thank you for indulging uh, my reminisces. And um, I've been a bit jumbly today. I don't know what, what it is. Um, the situation, I've got um, jackdaws in my chimney. That's sort of freaking me out because I can hear them making noises. Um well, anyway, I know I know I've rambled a little bit, so I'm trying to be concise in, in the end of this. So thanks to Phil for um, for what he does from in his hole. Uh, thanks to Helen for letting Phil uh, go into his own hole to do whatever he does in his hole. Thank you, the listeners, for listening and for feeding back to us. Feedback even more. We love you feeding back. And we love you sharing. So share these podcasts with people. We want world domination. No, we don't. Uh, but but do share them. Let people, if you think they're good, let people hear them. And uh, and that's that's that. Um, I'm I'm going to swear just because I can because there's no public service broadcaster to stop me. So this is a fucking great record from a fucking great band, the fucking birthday party, and this is Big Jesus Trash Can. God bless you if you believe in God. Bye-bye.
Isn't music wonderful? Ha, yes, it certainly is. Especially with tracks like that. I love the birthday party. Right, thank you very much for that, Ian. That was a really enjoyable episode for me. Uh, I did a bit of out loud laughing to myself. It was quite, well, not to myself, but into my little hole. It was great fun. Anyway, thank you very much for all of you for listening. And here we go again www.flowingbackwards.co.uk and on Facebook it is Flow Backwards you know what to do with them share them make some comments on them suggest things if you will maybe a shout out to a friend I don't know so it's good night from me and I know it's goodbye from him because He's not here, so I'm going to have to say it for him. Bye, everybody. Thank you very much. <laughs>